0: Uh, it's great to be together. Uh, I hope that you are having a great morning so far. I know that a lot can happen uh, from the mo- moment you wake up on Sunday morning to when you get here to church, and I'm just so glad that you made it today. And if you're visiting with us again, thank you for being with us. And uh, actually, me and my wife and my daughter, we flew in from St. Louis yesterday. We were at a conference called Reach, and uh, we were with 16,000 people uh, worshiping God for the last uh, three or four days, and Uh, It was a really incredible time, but uh, we missed you so much that we came back early to be with you today. And uh, so um, we're here with today. We're so glad to be with you. And um, I'm a little—if I say something that's a little like weird, just you know—I slept maybe a couple hours last night. So, so just you know, give me some grace. But uh, I'm excited for today. Are you excited? And uh, I want to ask that if you could stand up on your feet for, as we read the Word of God. Uh, I, I like to do this sometimes. So if you could, everybody could stand on up. We're going to read the Word. I believe that your posture is important. What about you? How about when you're talking to someone? Do, do, is their body language important? And so I believe our body language is important as we, we come before God today. And uh, we're going to read... Uh, something. I want to speak today from Mark chapter 3. And the scripture I want to read kind of sets up a theme that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. And uh, the Bible says here in Mark chapter 3 verse 1, it says, another time Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue. I don't know if you knew this, but we are in a synagogue right now. Fun fact. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of Everyone. You know, I think it's, just, just for a second, I think it's interesting that Jesus would have a man who's probably so insecure about his disability, about his shriveled hand, he would have that one man stand up in front of a group of people who were religious, who were judging Jesus. It must have been a very insecure moment for him as Jesus asked him to stand up. What do you think? And it's, a, it's about to get tense here in a moment. So in verse four, it says that Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Verse 5. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to them, stretch out, stretch to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. I want to speak to you today and over the next five weeks about this idea of functional faith. Everybody say functional faith. And if you could bow your heads with me, we're going to pray for the service, and then you'll be able to sit down. But let's keep standing here. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we are together as a family, uh, that we made it here today to uh, hopefully uh, to come into your presence, to learn from you, to sit at your feet, God, to not have any preconceived ideas and to remove any bias that we might have in our heart and that we would just keep our heart completely open and soft to whatever it is that you want to communicate to us today. That we would let your Holy Spirit change our heart. And God, I wanna give a prayer out uh, to the families, uh, to the officers in Dallas this week, God, who lost uh, their lives And, and God, it's a tragedy and I pray for healing in our country, God. I pray that we would not look at the color of one's skin, God, but that we would look that we are all created in the image of the almighty God, that is you, and that we can find meaning and purpose, and that we can come together, God, that there would be uh, an amazing, and we can be that here, God, that we can live that out here, that it's important that as we talk about functional faith, that we live out our faith. So God, we, we come before you humble. God, forgive us of everything that that would set us against you this morning and that you would speak to us. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. As you sit down, give a few people a high five and uh, tell them we got some work to do. We got some work to do. We got some work to do, and uh, I'm excited, you know, when we have these opportunities to still meet, when there's big conferences, and maybe a lot of people are out of town. I still get excited. For some people, I think it, it kind of gets them down that, that there are a lot of people are out of town, but I feel like, I feel like God is going to move powerfully today, because it's not really about the size of the group. It's really about the heart that's in this room to worship God this morning and so I, I'm so grateful and I always feel honored. It's a privilege to be up here before you and, um, and so we're going to dive into the book of Mark today. The, the Gospel of Mark uh, gives us three different accounts or five different accounts within two chapters of Jesus in confrontational situations. How many people would say that you, you uh, thrive in confrontational situations? Okay, just like one hand. Okay, awesome. We are, we are not people who like confrontation, especially me. And I'm not gonna go deep in, too deep into that point. But, you know, we you really should think of Jesus' ministry as a ministry of comfort, and it certainly is. You know, Jesus uh, had a ministry of comfort, uh, but it was also a ministry of confrontation. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, because comfort and confrontation are both functions of the Holy Spirit. You're like, what? You know, comfort and confrontation are both functions of the Holy Spirit. You see, the same Spirit of God who will comfort you in your trials is also uh, the same Spirit who will confront you in your dysfunction. John 16 says that the Holy Spirit, the counselor, is gonna come to convict you of your sins. And so we know that it's not all about comfort. That certainly is a part of the Holy Spirit's function. But confrontation is also a part of what he does. Um, You know, when we look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, he was a reliable source of comfort for those who were mourning. But he was also a source of confrontation of people who were complacent. We see Jesus here in one of five situations with the religious ruling uh, class in that day, the religious ruling group of his day, the Pharisees. And really the main issue around these confrontations is is Jesus' approach to the Sabbath. They, They have a problem with the way Jesus sees the Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a gift given by God to the people, but as people often do, we distort a good gift and we use it for the wrong purpose. And the very thing that was meant to be restorative and creative in its nature became destructive when it's abused. In other words, it's being used for a purpose that was different than, than it's design, and then what it was designed to accomplish. It's being used for something else differently now. So as we look into the subject of functional faith today and we look at this one particular story, we see here an illustration of a system that isn't working anymore. We see an illustration of a system that is not working, a system that has now become dysfunctional, a system that is no longer fulfilling its intended Purpose. You see, Jesus arrives, and the temple system by which the people were approaching God had become dysfunctional. Or, or if you want to say unfit. It, it was unfit for the purpose it was designed to serve. You see, the, the, the temple was supposed to be a place where people can come into the presence of God. But because of the religious ruling group, the Pharisees had become a place to keep people out of God's presence. It stopped fulfilling its intended purpose. Are you with me? I have a question. And uh, in in marriage, we call these kinds of questions loaded questions. Okay, Uh, but so you don't have to raise your hand. Okay, but if you want to, you can. But do not feel uh, the temptation to do that. How many of you at the beginning of the year usually like to set some goals uh, physically, like you want to get in shape for the year? Anybody ever do that? Okay, you don't have to, but I kind of forced some of you. You are like, I guess I'll raise my hand. Yeah, like, you know, it's really popular, right? A lot of us, you know, want to get into shape. We start doing our crunches, okay? Uh, We're not eating Nestle crunches, like you're doing, you know, crunches for your stomach, right, and so, uh, yeah, you know, you're like, you're just getting into shape, and and, and I don't say that to remind you or, or make you feel guilty if you've stopped. I really am rooting for you. I hope you stay strong with the goals that you set, Okay, I really do. I think fitness is something that is unique for every individual. And and it's something, you know, that that fitness is relative. Do you agree with that? Like fitness is unique and it's relative to every single person. Like what fitness is for you might be different than what fitness is for me. Right? Right? Like I look out into the crowd and I see Nicole and she's like a beast on, what do you call, uh, cycling, what is that called? What do they call that? Cycling, right? Dude, I'm like, wish I could be in that shape, right? But, but there's things that I do, there's things that I would consider fitness that might be different than what she considers fitness. Are you with me? Fitness is is relative. And I I know some of you are like not into fitness, okay? So just stick with me for a moment because I'm gonna dive into this illustration a little deeper, okay? Everybody say amen. Okay, and so uh, it's relative. That means you can go certain places and you can feel really good about your fitness, right? Like I could be around a bunch of little kids and feel good about the shape I'm in because I'm faster, I'm stronger, Right? (laughs) Yeah, they're like 20 years younger, but, but yeah, I am faster, and I'm stronger, it makes me feel good about the current state of my fitness, right, but then I can go into a CrossFit gym and totally feel like the weakest one in the room, okay, so it's, it's, it's relative. Like a while back, I joined a, a gym called Crunch Fitness. Anybody heard of Crunch Fitness before? Yeah, they're popping up all over the place, and I don't go there anymore, uh, but I thought, I thought it was a funny place. I really did. I thought it was a funny place because when you first walk in through the doors, all over the walls was this phrase right here no judgments. No judgments. Like that's their philosophy. Hey, you come here, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to judge what, what fitness is for you. We're not going to judge uh, your current state, your current condition of your, of, of your fitness. Everybody say, no judgments. No judgments. Now, I get that. I really do. It's a great philosophy. And, 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 and I get it because they want the customer to work out without feeling judged by anybody. Okay? Totally understandable. And it sounds nice, but, but I doubt the effectiveness of that philosophy because I noticed when I was in the gym that even their own employees would walk around kind of laughing at people who were doing workouts the wrong way. So yeah, like, even your own employees are kind of like fitness snobs, you know, like, walking around, like, not looking at you because they support you, looking at you because they're judging you, okay? Like, that's their own, okay? I'm not totally hating on Crunch. You should go there. It's probably a great gym, okay? But, but you know, the reality is that they're, I totally, like, just put them down. Like, my Yelp review is really low right now. see, <laughs> the reality is, is that there's many different philosophies to fitness, okay? Like, My fitness routine, I'm more of a punisher. I'm more of a punisher because I really don't like working out. I hate it. So I like to work out for short amounts of time, but I like to push my body to its maximum capacity in that that time. Okay? You're like, what's wrong with you? Right? Like, I did this with a few teens. I'm not going to but you know what I mean? Like, I thought I was going to get into trouble because it didn't go well. Okay? Like I, tried, I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to work out with the teens. And uh, yeah, like it didn't, it, the workout lasted like seven minutes. Okay, so I'm like, okay, uh, probably not a good idea. See, that, that's not their, their idea of fitness. That's my idea of fitness. It's relative, right? But then, but then I'm kind of like the binge and punish mentality when it comes to fitness, okay? Something's wrong with me. But then you have the guys who walk into the gym and they have the, the gallon jug of water right, and they got the gloves and they got the, they got the belt, right, and if that's you, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you down, but these are the guys, I I think they're more of like the beach muscle guys, right, they're more like the beach muscle guys, like, do you know what that, what I mean by beach muscles, yeah, everybody nod your head, say yeah, yeah, even if you know, like, they're going to bench press, they're going to do their biceps, they're going to do their triceps, right, they're going to do all the things that make them look really good, kind of like a lot of Christians, right? We want to have knowledge to show off when we pose, but we don't really use it in our everyday life. But there's a trend in fitness. There's a, there's a very trendy term right now called uh, this is what it's called functional fitness. Everybody say functional fitness. And and functional fitness is really about two things. It's about adaptability and application. In other words, is this exercise something that's going to help you in real life? Is this going to help you in things that you do every day? Is this movement that you're doing an exercise that's something that's going to translate into real life? Because a lot of stuff that you do when you're exercising isn't really applicable to what you do on a daily basis. And so the basic premise of functional fitness is that you don't really need all this fancy equipment, okay, to get in shape. You really don't even need a gym membership. All you really need is something like, like this. This is a, has anybody ever seen a kettlebell before? Okay. I brought one because I was considering doing some workouts, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because, but, but, but this is a kettlebell. Anybody ever seen a kettlebell? Let me see a raise of hands. Anybody use a kettlebell to work out? Okay. A few of us. Okay. You know, people think you need, you need a gym, right, and you need all this fancy equipment, but you can make your life miserable with just this one piece of equipment, okay? You just got to know what to do with it. That's the key. And see, sometimes we think we need all this fancy special knowledge to grow in our faith. And we think we need all this training and all this background. But I got good news for you. One Bible verse, if you apply it to your life, can change your entire marriage. One Bible verse, if you apply it to the way you live, can give you a purpose in life. One Bible verse, if you read it and you live it out, can change every relationship in your life. Amen. And so we want to talk about, over the next few weeks, about functional faith. Functional faith, the kind of faith that doesn't give you knowledge in your head but gives you strength in your heart. The kind of faith that doesn't just show up on Sunday but the kind of faith that makes it into Monday and wakes you up early to read your Bible on Tuesday and forgives somebody on, on Wednesday and shares your story with somebody at at work and at school on Thursday. And you get the point, you know what I mean? Like Friday and Saturday have their purpose too, you know what I mean? But but, but a faith that's lived out every single day, it's a functional faith. I'm not just trying to look good on the outside with my beach muscles, but I want to use it. I want it to be lived out life, the kind of faith that resembles real life. Functional faith. Everybody say functional. You see, Jesus is instigating a functional faith in a dysfunctional system. You see, Mark chapter 3 is about much more than a man's hand being healed. It's about the heart of a system that's now become dysfunctional. It's about a people who have misused and misappropriated faith. And, And you know what? I've heard so many different definitions of faith. So many different definitions of faith. I mean, it's come, faith has come to mean so much that maybe now it's almost lost its meaning. And so the question is, what is faith? What is faith? Well, I think the best place to start, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance. There's a a reality to it. There's there's a reality and there's a truth to the things that you hope for. The evidence of things not seen. In other words, it's like faith is believing that God is who he says he is. And that he's going to do everything that he promised he's going to do. That God is the same God he was yesterday as he was Today, as he is today and as he will be tomorrow, God does not change and he keeps his promises in your life. That's faith. This means that faith is not a feeling. I don't have to feel faith to have faith. I don't have to feel a goosebump during worship to believe God. I don't even have to feel happy to be grateful for what God is doing in my life. Everybody shout out, I got faith. I I want you to say it with some attitude. Say, I got faith. faith. Come on, somebody. So what is faith? But maybe a better question is what is faith for? What is faith for? In other words, what is the objective of faith? What is the objective of faith? And I'm going to give you four things today that begin with the letter O. You like that? I'm going to give you four things that begin with the letter O. You can take notes and remember this and you can review this, okay? Because faith has an objective. Faith always has what? An objective. Faith has an objective, okay? So if you're going to get fit, if you're deciding to get fit, the first thing a good trainer will, first trainer will ask you will he'll ask you, "What is your goal?" What what is your goal? What do you want to get fit for? Are you just getting fit for your honeymoon so that you could look good for a week? Or are you getting fit because you want a healthier lifestyle? Are you working out because you just want to get yoked out of your mind huge or do you want to, you know, get toned down and more definition? What what is the objective? Of your faith? What is the objective of your faith? Now, in the passage we read, there are three different groups of people, three different characters represented. You've, you've got the Pharisees, okay? The beach muscle guys. The Pharisees are the beach muscle guys. And the Bible says that they came to Crunch Fitness that day, okay, to look at everybody else's form and to make fun of them and to see what Jesus would do, okay? It says that Jesus went into the synagogue to heal. That's the first character. Then then, then we have the the withered hand who went in possibly to be healed. And then we have the Pharisees who went in to watch. And it says in verse 2 that some of them, some of them. I like how Mark doesn't actually call them out. He's just like, some of y'all. Like, like some of y'all, some of them We're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. See, Jesus was looking for an opportunity to heal. But the Pharisees were looking for an opportunity to take offense. What are you looking for when you come to church? What are you looking for when you come to church? And sometimes I don't understand it. Like, like, why would you come if the only thing you want to do is find fault? Like, I'm all for, like, you know, I mean, we got to speak up, and if there's things that we see that are not biblical and they're not centered on Jesus Christ, then, then that needs to be fixed. Amen? But, but, but what are we looking for when we come to church? Because, see, some people have a false objective for their faith. It's the objective of faith that that wants to keep people out instead of bring people in. It's when the church becomes more about judging how God should do it than being a part of what God is doing. It is a misappropriation of faith when a church isn't working. And you can tell a church isn't working because instead of reaching out, there's a man with a shriveled hand that can't reach out. He can't reach out. But he's in a synagogue of people who won't reach out. And I can't figure out which one is worse. The ones who won't reach out, the one who can't reach out. And Jesus walks in and says, "Hey, this isn't working. This system is dysfunctional." He confronts the system by identifying the objective. What is your objective? What is the objective of your faith? What is your reason for wanting to have faith? What is your motivation for wanting to have faith? Some of us only have faith for things that directly benefit us. We only pray for our job, we only pray for our healing, we only pray for our kids, we only pray for our promotion. When was the last time you came before God and asked him for something that would actually make your life less convenient if he did it? Like a lot of times, like what's the objective? Like a lot of times we want the church to grow, right? But this isn't a sales job. I don't feel like we're just trying to grow and meet a quota at the end of the month. Like like Mike, do you really want the church to grow for your own ego? Or do you really want people to know Jesus Christ? What is the objective of your faith? What is the objective of your faith? What is your faith for? What did you come to church for today? Why are you at the synagogue? We are at a synagogue. So you can judge the way that Jesus healed his hand? Are you here to judge the way he did it? What is the objective of your faith? The the objective matters a lot. And all of this controversy is around our second O, and that that is the occasion. Everybody say occasion. Occasion. Say it one more time, everybody. Occasion, occasion. Occasion. Okay, write it down if you can. The occasion of the Sabbath. The occasion was the Sabbath, which was on Saturday, Saturday. For Jewish people okay the Sabbath is on Saturday for Jewish people which was to be set aside as a day of rest a day where you are to do no work you're to do nothing on the Sabbath the intention of the Sabbath Sabbath was to be a blessing but since they had overemphasized the Sabbath and underemphasized God Jesus had to remind them that any occasion is a fitting occasion to be a blessing Any occasion is a fitting blessing to bring healing into somebody's life. It says in verse 4 in Mark 3, it says, Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Why do you think they remained silent? (laughs) Because they knew the answer to the question. And you know what? I think Jesus is picking a fight because he could have waited until the next day to perform the miracle. This was not a crucial, crucial situation. A missing hand is not a life-threatening event. In some situations, it is, okay? But, but in this situation, this man had this condition for a long time. But Jesus did it on this day, the day they were supposed to do no work because he wanted to show them that what they were doing was no longer working. Jesus is using this situation to confront a dysfunctional system. He's using this situation to show them a deeper issue of the heart. Are you with me? You know, since we have such a situational view of God, most of our life is spent trying to fix situations. And that's how I can lead sometimes in the ministry. Sometimes I can lead in the ministry just, by, just by, 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 by dealing and fixing certain situations. When something goes wrong, I would address the situation. Because, you know, I can do that, especially in the team ministry. It's small enough for me to adjust everything by every situation. But when you get a, have a church of 700 people when you got a lot of people now you got to start addressing the system instead of addressing every situation for example something that we've been doing as a staff is we are completely redoing our small group our small group strategy as a church we believe in small group but we feel like the way we've been doing small group needs to be updated and so we met for a few days to go over, man, what can we do to really do, the, do small groups differently? We believe in small groups. We believe that we need to be connected as a church. We believe in this system, but the, but the system that we have held to for the last 15 years has now become a little dysfunctional, and now we want to focus on it so that it can be built up and be something that gives life to people. Amen. Amen. God is bringing you into a place of your life right now where he doesn't want you to just play whack-a-mole with situations anymore. Where by the time you can get this situation under control, there's another one, and here comes another one, and here comes another one, and after I put this fire out, here another fire starts. Maybe it's the system. Maybe he wants to fix the dysfunction that is breaking the system, that is creating the situation in your life. Amen. And so Jesus shows up on the Sabbath and he said, I'm gonna work on the day that we're not supposed to work so the people can see that what they're doing isn't working anymore. And I'm gonna fix this man's hand that isn't working on the day that you're not supposed to do any work so we can fix the system. You know, when I was growing up, my grandma had all kinds of silverware. My grandma had all kinds of silverware and all kinds of plates and she had these special plates you know those special plates that your grandma had the fine china right the, the really nice plates that would go up in the cabinet your grandma had one of those I feel like sometimes a lot I don't know maybe it's just me okay but anyways my grandma had this cabinet and she'd keep her her nice fine china up in this cabinet okay and they were expensive and they were really nice and she would break them out for special occasions like, like Christmas and Easter. Is your faith like that? You see, faith is not meant to function like fine china where you break it out once a week. Faith is not meant only to access in a crisis. Faith isn't only for the time when you get a report from the doctor that we need to do more tests. I don't want that kind of faith. You know what kind of faith I want? I, I don't want to find China faith. I want a paper plate faith. I want a paper plate faith. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I want, cause, you know, I was going to get distracted because the cleanup is always easier with paper plates. But that really has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I just, I just love that about paper plates. But anyways, I want a faith that has an everyday use. Not just once a week, two times a month kind of use. I want a faith that that is lived out every day of the week. I want a durable faith. I want a faith I can eat off of when nothing is going right. I want a faith that I can use in everyday ups and downs. I want a faith that functions. I don't want a faith that's only for special occasions. I want a faith, I want my faith to be who I am. I want a faith that defines me. It's who I am to believe God. It's who I am to trust him. I want faith that functions, a functional faith. What about you? A faith that is not held hostage to our third O, the outcome. The outcome. I'm going to go through these next few quickly. The outcome. Can we talk about the outcome? Thank you for your approval. Because in this story, there are two outcomes. There are two outcomes. One outcome is that the man's hand got healed. Praise the Lord. And the other outcome is in verse 6 of this passage. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. One man got healed. One man got critical. They wanted to kill Jesus. Now there was one event, a healing, and there were two outcomes, one for the man and and, and one for the Pharisees. Here's the thing, If, if your faith is dependent on an outcome, then it's only a matter of time before you lose it. If your faith, if you need a certain outcome to validate your faith, then it's only a matter of time before you give up on your faith. You see, functional faith is a faith that works when your situation isn't cooperating anymore. A faith that works even when you don't know what's next because that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants you to have. That's the kind of faith that stretched his arms out on the cross. That's the kind of faith that crucified him on Friday but raised him to life on Sunday, three days later. A faith that works, a faith that won't give up, a faith that, that, that just won't quit, a faith that presses on. Does anybody have faith today? Real faith, solid faith, stable faith, unshakable faith. You see, my faith is not based on an outcome. My faith is an outlook. My faith can look at a situation a different way than I would look at it without my faith. Now my faith doesn't guarantee the outcome. Sometimes I have faith and I'll still have no job. Sometimes I have faith and your teenager still doesn't act more respectful towards you. Sometimes I have faith and my marriage still looks like it did before I exercised my faith. But my faith is not held hostage to the outcome in my life. My faith enables me to see God in any circumstance I'm facing Because I have faith. My faith is an outlook. My faith enables me to see an opportunity for for forgiveness where others see an opportunity for offense. Because my faith is a way of seeing what's happening around me, yet look at it differently because I don't walk by sight. I walk by, I walk by, I said we walk by faith. Everybody ask your neighbor, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Can I close this out now? You're like, please close this out. I want to finish talking about the order. Because Jesus gives the man a command that seems strange. Because the Bible says the man got up in front of the people. That was his first step. His first step was to take a stand in front of people who were judging him. He had to be willing to stand out in the midst of a synagogue of people who didn't get it. He had to be willing to stand up in front of people that misunderstood him. Huh, sounds a little familiar. Sounds a little bit like our lives. Do you have enough faith to take a stand today? Do you have enough faith to take a stand at school? Do you have enough faith to take a stand at work? I think what America needs more now than ever is men and women of faith who take a stand for Jesus. Not a political cause, but for Jesus. We need people to take a stand for Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. So he stood up in front of them and and then watched Jesus. Jesus was looking around, it said. And Jesus found this one man, and he stood this one man up. And the Bible says that there were two conditions in the synagogue. There was one condition: it said that the man had a shriveled hand. But watch this. What? Look what it says in verse five. It says uh, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Let me ask you: which one is worse? A shriveled heart, or a, stum- a shriveled hand, or a stubborn heart? The condition of the man's hand was an illustration of the people's hearts. They had shriveled hearts. And Jesus came to confront both, so he tells the man, stand up. And then he tells him to stretch out his hand. Can we use our imaginations for a second? Does anybody still have an imagination? I hope so maybe the man kept his his bad hand in his pocket I don't know maybe he did maybe he didn't but 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 what if he he kept his bad hand in his bat in his pocket because the bible says he had a shriveled hand that means the other one was working just fine and Jesus didn't specify which hand so you know what I would like to do we always like to stick out our good hand first don't we and Jesus said, no, 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 not that one, not that hand, not that hand. No, no, not the one that's working, I want the hand that's not working. Stretch that one out. See, God didn't bring you here today so you could show off the parts of your life that are working. He brought you here today to heal the parts of your life that aren't. So look at verse 5. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. I want you to notice how Jesus, before he does anything, commands the man to do what he cannot do. Because faith will command you to do what you've never been able to do. Faith will command you to do what you've convinced yourself that you're not able to do. Faith will call you a conqueror when all you've known is defeat and then see what you do with that. Faith will tell you to stretch out a hand that you have hidden in your pocket that nobody else would notice. You see, it's significant that he healed a man with a shriveled hand. Because if the man's feet had been lame, everybody would have been able to see that because they would have brought him in on a mat through the doorway. Everybody would have seen his dysfunction. If the man had been blind, he would have had to feel his way into the room. But the thing about some dysfunctions is that they're easy to hide. I said some dysfunctions are easy to hide and you can get by with one hand and nobody would even know it. Nobody even knows about your temper except your wife. Nobody knows about your spending habits except for your husband. Nobody even knows about your eating disorder. Nobody even knows about what you're looking at late at night. Nobody even knows. It's fine, it's fine. And Jesus says, that hand, that hand, the one that's hidden in your pocket, the one that's shriveled, the one that's ugly and I know you don't want to look at, the one that you want to avoid, the one that you do not want to expose at all costs. That hand. No, 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 not your good hand. I saw your good hand. Stretch out your hand, he said. I want to heal your other hand. I want to heal the thing that's brought embarrassment in your life. I want to bring healing to the thing that's brought shame. So he had his hand hidden, and then he took a stand before the people, and when he stretched, you see, oh, you see, I always want God to restore me before I respond. What about you? God, can you fix this before I do anything? But the order of faith says that it's only when you respond that you can be restored. It says that when the man stretched out his hand, it says that his hand got stronger as he stretched as we come to a close i believe god is stretching somebody today he's stretching your faith he's trying to get you to see that that it's only when you reach out it's only when you reach out. It's only when you make the effort. It's only when you do what you thought you couldn't do. It's only when you're willing to take a stand and stretch out your hand. Come on, everybody stretch out your hands up in the air. Everybody do it. It's only when you stretch out your hands towards God. Okay, not like stretch, stretch. You know what I'm saying? You see, I believe. Dude, everybody got tired like in five seconds, okay? Stay with me for like two more minutes, okay? You see, I believe God wants to restore some things inside of you that you've been been ignoring. I believe God wants to restore something inside of you that's been affecting every other part of your life. But the thing is, God cannot change you without your response. He cannot change you. He cannot cover what you won't uncover. He cannot heal what is hidden in your life. So what I want you to do this week is to do something you couldn't do without faith. That's my challenge for you. I want you to do something this week that you couldn't do without faith. Maybe that means forgiving somebody. Hey, maybe that means having a confrontational talk because you've been feeling bitter and you're having conversations in the car with this person and they're not there and maybe it's time for you to actually talk to them about it in a loving way. Okay. And I know that takes faith. It takes courage to take a step out and say something that's hard. But in Proverbs it says, a wound from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So, so maybe, so maybe you, you, you have the faith to be a real friend and say something that's hard to say this week. Maybe that's your act of faith. Maybe, maybe it's just getting up and reading your Bible every day. Maybe it's confessing something that's been hidden. That takes faith. Stretch out your hand this week and see what God does in your life because God didn't give you your faith just so you could be complacent and comfortable with your dysfunction. He gave you a functional faith that can bring restoration into your life and into the lives of those around you. As we take communion, I want you to set your eyes on Jesus. Because he stretched out his arms too on the cross. And when he was in Gethsemane, he he did something that he didn't want to do. But he said, God, I'll I'll stretch out my, my, my hands. I will stretch out my arms. I will die for these people. if That is your will. What an amazing Lord we have in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Set your eyes on him, and I'm gonna pray for us as we take communion. God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for the power of faith. And God, we know that faith has become such a trendy term in our world today. We throw around the word faith it has so many different meanings that it's lost its power in so many of our lives. But today, God, as we, as we looked at the objective of our faith and, and as we looked at the occasion and as we, as we looked at the outcome and as we looked at the order, God, we want to see you move in our lives. God, we want to be a church of people that have real faith that gets to work. God, I pray, please, move our hearts that your Holy Spirit, this word, is nothing without your presence today. What, whatever was preached today means nothing, God, if your Holy Spirit doesn't penetrate and, and break down every barrier that is keeping us from connecting with you to this morning. So I pray that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, God, that we would expose everything, that we would stretch out our hands towards you and be healed. Give us the faith to stretch out our hands this week and get open about things that maybe we've kept hidden. Give us the strength to stretch out our hands this week and have that conversation that we haven't been wanting to have. Give us the strength this week to stretch out our hand to help somebody in need. But let us fix our eyes on Jesus first. God, we love you. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.